CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Every Friday, Ramon Hussein, editor, columnist for the Chicago Sun-Times, media person extraordinaire, joins me on the Ben Jarofsky Show. This Friday is no different. Welcome back, Ramona. Hi, it's good to be back. Uh, don't sound too excited about being back on the show. Uh, a little more enthusiasm there, right, Ramona? Uh, this is just, by the way, I should uh, shatter the fourth wall. Uh, this is the first time we're using this new doohickey thing called Zencaster, which is a miracle I got the name right. Well, it's actually really hard for me to get the name wrong since I'm looking at it right now. Though I have this, uh, as uh, Nate, our, our producer for this segment, uh, knows I have this uh, this problem uh, Romana, where I, for some reason, feel compelled to call Zencaster Zoomcaster. But I'm going to fight it, and we'll get through this, and we'll see how this show goes. All right, Romana Hussein, uh, last night we were talking about uh, all the issues of the day uh, that we were going to run through in the Romana Rundown. And there were two issues uh, above all others that we were both obsessive about. One is what went down in the Chicago City Council with the debate over a resolution. You think that a, res- a slam dunk resolution condemning uh, intolerance, violence, hatred, et cetera, and so forth. But no, t- didn't pass. There's that. And then, of course, Woody Allen, the uh, dysfunction of Woody Allen. I have to give a confession. I used to be a Woody Allen fan, big time Woody Allen fan. I feel a little complicit in all this. So, Ramona, here's what we're going to do. Since we both want to talk about each, each of these issues, I don't know which one is going to go first. I'm going to flip a coin. Heads, Woody Allen, tails, resolution. Here we go. And heads it is. Woody Allen, the Woodman. Okay. Your, fav- your favorite Science. actor. Oh, my God. I deserve that. Yes. <laughs> By the way, for the record, he's not my favorite actor. All-time favorite actor is Paul Newman. Well, before we dive into it, I just wanted to know what 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 did you like about Woody Allen? I'm just telling you, as someone who isn't from the Boomer generation, I just remember people talking about Woody Allen because a lot of Gen Xers 
especially men love Woody Allen. And I never watched a movie where he was the lead. I did watch Woody Allen movies, but I never watched. I'm just telling you as a, as a straight woman, I just thought he was always repulsive. That was just my, and I just, I didn't know why men thought he was so awesome. And I didn't, and I didn't buy that, you know, he could play a lead actor, not to say that, you know, that all matters, but I just kind of get creepy vibes from, from the beginning when everybody else loved him. So I'd like to know what you liked about him. Well, by the way, you and my sister, my sister never liked the Woodman. Okay. So I'm just going to put that out there right now. So you're not alone in that one. Uh, true confession. I love Woody Allen. And by the way, for our millennial listeners, Woody Allen was a, a movie star, a writer, a director. Uh, he made a movie a year, you know, unbelievable streak, making a movie of year from like the early seventies up until recently, until his perversions and dysfunction caught up to him. And now nobody wants anything. Well, not nobody, but 99.9% of the world wants nothing to do with Woody Allen. They can't find actors or actresses to play roles in his movies uh, because of, well, we'll be talking about this, the case of him, um, what do you call it, pedophile with his daughter? Oh, God. Anyway, um, so what did I see in Woody Allen? First of all, I thought he was funny. Uh, I, his sense of humor had a huge impact on me. The way he would confront the uh, absurdities of life, uh, I really appreciate it. There's that great scene in Annie Hall where I, I know it's a movie you probably didn't see, uh, but in 1977, and he sits down in a bedroom with a uh, uh, character played by Christopher Walken. And Christopher Walken is saying, uh, you know, I'm not going to do my Christopher Walken imitation, but sometimes when I'm driving at night and I see car lights coming at me, I have this impulse to drive into the car. And uh, you as an artist can understand that and relate to that. And then Woody Allen's response is, well, I have to go back to planet Earth now. I don't know. It's something about that classic Woody Allen confronting the absurdity of life and the way he deals with it. And he did it over and over again in movie after movie. And I loved it. I loved his character. Uh, but at some point, it became obvious, even to me, Romana, that this was a serious, seriously deranged human being who had this obsession with younger women. And as he got older and frailer and less good looking, and even it became even more extreme to believe that he could possibly be attractive to a young woman. Was he even good looking? I mean, how can you say less good looking? No. But that's okay. Now you're getting at it. <laughs> now you're you're like, oh my God, it's this interrogation, but you're getting at it. So when when men of my generation looked at the schlub that was Woody Allen and they saw him winning over beautiful women. It's like, we said, yes, the power of my mind. It overcomes my ugly looks, my frail body, my flabby belly. It overcomes all that because beautiful women are just attracted to the brilliance of my mind. So that's, that's why men like me love Woody Allen. There, I confess to you, Romano Hussein. Anyway, but it became so oh, oh, impossible I, I to believe. <laughs> the thing that bothered me is just like, yeah, men were like, oh, yeah, you know, even though he looks like that. But it's like the whole point is like it made men, I felt like from that generation and Generation Xers feel like, oh, they don't have to really try about anything. You know, they can look like Woody Allen and think they are it. So I just that felt like it, it gave nerds a little too much confidence and they felt like they didn't have to try. And I'm not saying nerds can't be cool. They can be cool. And I'm not saying you have to look like Brad Pitt. But come on. Why, how, come there, how come there's no what, there's no uh, movie with a woman that looks like Woody Allen with going out with a guy that looks like Brad Pitt? That's my problem. If, if there was a woman that looked like Woody Allen and was Woody Allen, none of you men would like those movies. 
tell you that much. Um, that I, uh, I'm going to disagree with on that point. First of all, it's I like to think that if there was a woman uh, actor who was as funny and as witty and as wise and as brilliant uh, as Woody Allen, that uh, she would overcome all the conventional uh, attitudes about beauty. But you know what? Uh, we don't know because for the 70s and the 80s, correct me if I'm wrong, Romana, no woman was given as much freedom and latitude to create the movie, as many movies as Woody Allen was done. I can't think of any woman who had so much like a green light in Hollywood just to make all the movies that she wants and create her own persona. And by the way, the reason we're having this conversation is because both of us have seen uh, Alan versus Pharaoh, the uh, HBO oh, yeah. documentary. We should, we should That's, I should have that. said that at the top. So anyway, all right. Uh, so I confess as to uh, why I was attracted to Woody Allen for all those years and saw all his movies uh, and quoted them and uh, et cetera and so forth. I'm a little embarrassed to admit. Uh, but now, of course, I, don't want, I want nothing to do with them, and it's because of Allen versus Pharaoh. Why don't you tell folks a little bit about uh, the HBO four-part series, Allen versus Pharaoh? Yeah, Allen versus Pharaoh is basically about uh, Woody Allen and his relationship with uh, me. He, he, as everybody now knows, he used to date Mia Farrow, and Mia Farrow adopted many children, a lot of them, a lot of whom were from overseas. And she had this one uh, adopted daughter, Sumi. And Woody Allen, um, you know, they, they had a relationship, but it was a little bit unconventional. They didn't really, um, you know, they never got married. Um, and they never really had a life together in terms of they didn't live together. They kind of had separate, you know, residences and Woody Allen, you know, from the get go, I don't know if you saw, he told me or Farrell, he really wasn't into kids, but eventually it turned out he was into kids in, in more ways than one. Um, and then he ends up having this relationship with Soon Yi, uh, one of Mia Farrell's daughters. And that's one of the things I think people are like, I, I always, when I was younger, I always thought that they adopted the child together, but it was Mia Farrow's adopted child. And while they were dating, he ends up having a relationship with this young woman. He claims that she was, uh, you know, in her twenties, but I think there was like indication that she could have been in her teens. And so the movie kind of, and then there's also, I shouldn't say it's just about his relationship with Soon Yi. It also, it actually centers on um, sexual uh, abuse allegations um, that his, other adopted daughter, the daughter that he did adopt with Mia Farrow, um, her allegations of sexual abuse that, you know, he, that he committed against her. So it's basically, I'm, God, why am I blanking out on her name right now? Um, Dylan. Dylan, Dylan Farrow. And she's, you know, she's written pieces um, in like national publications about this. So this has been written about before, but this kind of centers on the allegations that she had put forth and it talks a little bit about, you know, the therapy that she went through and what she told therapists and like all the legal, um, all the legal battles that happened with this case. And, you know, and, and it kind of, kind of opens, it kind of like peels layers of who Woody Allen is and they talk about his movies. And, you know, I, I think, I don't know how far you've been into the documentary yet. Um, ben, I almost called you Woody. Um, but they basically uh, they basically talk about how um, Woody Allen's scripts and his writings always focused on these really really young women, I, I, you know, women who are in their teenagers, and they kind of they show his films and they show his relationship with Mia Farrow and 
And it, it also shows how powerful he was and how powerful he was to kind of have these allegations swept away and how he was still revered for such a long time. It, was, it wasn't until recently that people started saying, okay, I don't want to work with Woody Allen. For a long time, they did. And I think it was maybe like two years ago that where actors were like, you know, they're being called out for being in his films. And then I think maybe about two or three years ago, some actors donated the money that they made um, on a Woody Allen film set. But there's still there's still a lot of actors. Like I think Scar Scarlett Johansson still defends him. Uh, uh, I think Diane Keaton, who was uh, starred in many of his films, I think she still defends him. So there's still people who defend him, um, you know. And so so I think the documentary is very um very fascinating and it's very disturbing at the same time and, and it is just it just shows you how nobody really wanted to accept that what he did was wrong or accept that he you know perhaps you know molested this this young woman or young child she was a child when she said she was molested so i don't know how far yeah, if gone? how far have we gone I've, I've uh i've watched the first three uh and here's a um i must make an acknowledgement here i've had like ser several uh, uh how do you call it? Phases of obsession with this story. Uh, because as I said, I was a diehard Woody Allen fan. So every movie that Woody Allen made would have like get together with other Woody Allen fans and we would quote Woody Allen movies. It's really kind of a weird uh, uh, phase of my life, which probably existed up until about a couple of years ago. Anyway, so, um, but every now and then, like, so when this story first broke, I remember very clearly it was like 1992, early 90s. And when uh, Mia mm -hmm. Farrell, well, no, Woody Allen went on the attack with a press conference saying that he was being unfairly maligned by Mia Farrow, uh, that she made up the story about uh, their daughter saying that he had molested her. Uh, and so this erupted as a huge like scandal, and it was like a glimpse uh, in the private lives of public people and celebrities. And you know our country goes, loves that stuff, Romana. We eat that stuff up. Like I eat up uh, M&Ms and fried chicken. And so like we were consuming, and I was no different. I was consuming it. And I came to the conclusion that he was a deviant, and that was it. I wasn't going to watch his movies anymore. And then another true confession. A couple years passed, I go, ah, let me give him another chance. And then I... Started watching Woody Allen movies again, you know, pretending like it didn't exist. And then it, for some reason, erupted a, a third time. I can't remember why. And I turned on him and then I forgave him again. And then finally, when the B2 era came uh, and Dylan herself, she's now 20, maybe 30 years old. She's articulating her story. I'm like, you know, I, I'm sorry. I, I cannot justify my continued obsession uh, with Woody Allen. He's a twisted dude. And I think it's evidence is there. There's a movie called Manhattan. 1979, he came out. He put it on the table, Romana. You know what I'm saying? This notion that young women are going to be attracted to him and so he can do whatever he wants with them because he's shaping them as human beings. I think he just, that was like a confession uh, in retrospect. That's how I view it. What's your yeah. thoughts? Was yeah, I mean, was that um, Mariel Hemingway? That was Mariel Hemingway, right? That was in the movie. Yes, she was. Yes, um, nineteen seventy-nine. She was. He was actually sixteen when they shot that movie, and he was in his forties. And he's supposed to be dating this young woman, and the whole. And I think what they pointed out in the documentary is they made it seem like she was the aggressor in the relationship. She's only sixteen years old, and that is really pretty damaging. And a lot of people. I have to tell you, a lot of people, especially men, always tell me how great that movie is. And then I, I read a piece by a woman, I think, in the New York Times a few weeks ago, who basically said it's a movie about a man who's grooming a young woman. 
And then when he's rejected by another woman, he's trying to come back to her. And it's, and it's like the whole movie, like when you're 16 years old and there's a 42 year old guy chasing after you, I don't think that's normal. I think even a 16 year old, I was, and neither of you guys are wherever 16 year old women, but I was a 16 year old woman. If there was a guy in his twenties chasing after me, I, I would think that was old. I'm just saying that that's how you think when you're 16, you think somebody in their twenties is really old in their late twenties. So, I mean, and, and I think Mariel Hemingway's talked about how Woody Allen, that was her first kiss ever from the movie. And she talked about how Woody Allen was hitting on her and wanted to take her to London. And he asked her parents if he could take her to London. And I think she even said her parents were like, okay with it. And she was like, I did not want to go. And she was creeped out by the whole experience. And this is a 16 year old girl. And, you know, they show them in bed together. I mean, I never watched the movie, but you know, people talk about how great it is and, you know, it's shot beautifully. And, but it's like, the whole theme is, and she looks 16 years old. She looks 16 years old in the movie. I mean, she was 16 years old. So I don't know. I just find that disturbing. I think if, if people, you know, who like the movie rewatched it again, I think they might be cringing when they watch it now. I don't know. And that gets into an issue that different reactions, different people have to the movie. But w w when you were going on that riff, I was thinking uh, when film critics in the abstract talk about birth of the nation, which is a really racist movie from 1915 yeah. oh, yeah, that, that extols the virtues of the KKK with, Oh, but Ben, it's a brilliant movie. Yeah, but yeah, it extols the virtues of the KKK. Yeah. Yeah. But you got to look beyond that. Or they took triumph of the will, which is a documentary about <laughs> Germany, the Olympics and that, Oh, Ben, forget about Hitler. What, what, what footage of those athletes warming up? My guys are twisted. And so Woody Allen, is a freaking pervert. Let's talk. I mean, he's a 42-year-old, right? He's a 42-year-old latch all over this woman and pretending and telling her, I think you should go out with younger men. And she's like, oh, please, Woody, you're just so smart and so beautiful. And I just want to be with you. That's all I want to be with. He goes, oh, all right. <laughs> I'm Woody Allen. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And a lot of, this is what I, like, okay, Ramana, help me out of here. So why does, like, Alex Baldwin and Bill Maher, you know, why do they feel compelled to defend the woodman? They're still defending him. Is it that they secretly think that they're as cool and as attractive as Woody Allen and that a 16-year-old girl would go, oh, Bill Maher, I love you so much. Whoa, the brilliance of your mind makes me want to take off my clothes. I mean, yeah, what, probably. what do you think is going probably. on here? Go ahead. I mean, I, I, think, I think a lot of men don't realize that, um, I, I mean, a lot of straight men, they don't, they probably don't realize that lusting after teenage girls is there's something wrong with you i'm just saying is as someone who's older i don't know i don't look at high school boys and get really get, get really like wow that guy's hot i don't i don't do that it, it's just something that women don't do I, I i don't know there are i'm not saying that there haven't been cases where women have gone out with teenagers older women but um it's it's i don't know i find it disturbing i i just think that if you look at like a young girl they're not they're not women they're girls if they're under 18 they're girls and so for i don't know i think for a long time it was acceptable or people thought like you know going after younger girls was really cool or like the younger they are the better and that was kind of uh perpetuated um in society and i think that's why nobody really thought manhattan at that time was like really gross but i don't know i always wonder like if i was a 16 year old and saw that movie when i was 16 if I would have been creeped out, I think I would have been creeped out. And I think it's just weird that a lot of people didn't, didn't register with them in their head that that was wrong. And you think about cases like Woody Allen and then Rowan Polanski and, you know, people did normalize it, I think to a certain extent. 
you know, where they talk. And then, you know, you, you hear about songs. You know, I know um, my husband, Mick, has pointed out the Beatles have, have said songs about, you know, she was just 17. And I understand that, but I'm a Beatles fan. But I said the point with that case is like these guys were in their 20s. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but they weren't like 50 years old in talking about a 17 year old girl. I mean, they probably wrote these songs when they were like 18, 19, 20. Yeah. I'm just saying, I'm not saying that stars haven't caused any, you know, controversy, but I'm just saying with songs like that, those the Beatles started off very, very young. So they were young themselves. I mean, yeah, maybe they were 21, but I'm just saying they weren't maybe. like 42 or 55, <laughs> you know? So I just have to say something. I love McDumpkey. That's Romano. This guy can see the other side of any argument. He just going to defend Woody Allen. I'm like, well, the Beatles did it. Uh, <laughs> that'll stop an argument. Well, I really can't come back. Uh, no, if I, see, when I, I, even before it was like popular to hate on Woody Allen, Mick would tell me he liked Woody Allen films. And I'd be like, ew, he's just so gross. And then I'm like, and then I'm like, I don't know. I don't think any women really like Woody Allen. And he's like, well, in real life, he did date those women. I'm like, that's because he's Woody Allen. But if he was like a regular schlub, he would not be dating any of those women. I'm telling you that. Much. Actually, I, money. I, well, okay. I know a lot of women who love Woody Allen movies. Uh, we'll put it there. And I don't want to embarrass them by revealing their names. A lot of women love them. But I got to tell you this. When you were going on that riff about uh, when you were a kid and older people hanging around, I remember when I was uh, the senior year, we went to um, Gulliver's, one of the finest pizza re restaurants uh, on the north side of Chicago on Howard Street. Oh, I know Gulliver's. And uh, yeah, man, yeah. Gulliver's. Everybody, I love glove the thick pizza. Anyway, focus, man, focus. So the guy who took us there was about uh, twenty-one, and he was hanging around with his my older my friends. But I, I his name is Schwaggy. I'm like, why is he hanging around with? us we're such losers why would a 21 year old hang and he was like hey guys I'm cool that's how he actually talked so even now i like convey that that like that voice i hear it but I, i'm with you i'm like why are you hanging around with us freaking losers maybe he's a loser himself yeah, uh I would, I anyway would too like i i'm just saying if was, if there was somebody 25 hanging out with me when i was 18 i would think that was weird by the way, we're going to take a deeper dive into the movie next week, believe it or not, uh, the documentary, because the producers are coming on. So I'll have even more talk about this. Yeah, uh, all we right. went on many tangents. Yes, we went on many tangents. Uh, but before we leave this subject completely and totally, you're absolutely right. In retrospect, uh, Woody Allen is a perv. I sit corrected. <laughs> Can I undo like the last 30 years of my life when I've watched his movies? I still love Small Time Crooks, by the way. I just have to put that out there, which is a movie that was in the 90s, I want to say. Uh, Michael Rappaport's in it. Anyway, um, so why does Woody Allen get away with it for so long, in your humble opinion? I have my own answers and thoughts, but uh, this story, as I said, erupted in 1992 for the first time, came back to life several months times down the road each time he had his defenders he, again alex baldwin bill maher still defend him uh he was pals with jeffrey epstein oh, there you go there's a great uh, uh reference character reference for you uh so why do you think woody allen uh was able to uh just sustain his career all these years despite the fact that his daughter accused him of molestation because he was so revered and well-respected. It was like, he was at the pinnacle. I mean, he's like considered, like if you did a Woody Allen movie, it was like, you made it. Like, you know, just 
being put in his film, like everybody would be like, yeah, my dream, you know, you, you, you read a lot of these actors interviews and they talk about how their dream is to be in a Woody Allen movie. And, you know, when anybody was cast in a Woody Allen movie, it'd be written about like months before the movie actually came out. And it's like every single actor that, you know, that it's a, you know, that's really like a well-known actor that are in his films. I mean, everybody that I know and everybody that's like, you know, won an Oscar is, is all of a sudden in his film. Any, any actresses that is really popular, even Selena Gomez um, is in one of his films. Uh, I think his latest film, um, I think Justin Timberlake, you know, it's like all these names, all these like names that, you know, all these up and comers, people who are popular. So it was just kind of like, it was like one of those things where if you look at a musician who's like so popular, and then you hear about these accusations against them. A lot of people don't want to believe it, I think. I think they put their blinders on. They go, oh, but he's such a genius. He's such a brilliant artist. And, you know, yeah, you can. I'm not saying if somebody watches a Woody Allen movie, that means I think they condone his behavior. You can watch. I mean, people enjoy the music of so many rock stars and so many mus musicians who aren't necessarily perfect in their lives either. You can step, I guess. But a lot of people do feel with Woody Allen now. Like, I've seen a lot, especially with a lot of younger people they're just like I don't understand how anybody can watch any of his films and not separate <laughs> the thing is like he would his yeah. life would kind of seep into the movies I mean I I never watched Manhattan but those clips kind of made me cringe when I watched it in 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 the documentary and just um reading his scripts like the way he describes women and young girls it's just creeped me out and then you know you the documentary is is also realized you know Woody Allen obviously didn't participate in this um documentary but they play clips of his um, in of an interview that he did, and and he just sounds so creepy when he's talking about um, his relationship with Soon Yi, and and then he sounds such so creepy when him and Mia Farrow are on the phone talking about the allegations against Dylan, and they're recording each other, and then it's all bizarre. It's a very dysfunctional situation, and Woody Allen saying that he's not recording her, and then he's recording her, and kind of that persona of this like neurotic harmless man it's kind of like showing him to be nothing but harmless so that's how that's yeah. how i took it so i think it's just because he was so, uh, he's so revered and people you know see him as this genius so you know people don't want to believe it i think that's that's what i can attribute this denial to that's uh, a great point people don't want to know and uh you know, they, they things are going good. You're in a Woody Allen movie. It's good for the career. They don't want to know. It's like Harvey Weinstein. We don't want to know. You know, we. it's like, yeah, please exactly. don't put this in my face because I just got this movie gig and it's really good for me and I don't want to know. So, and there's probably two sides to a story and they could be making it up. Uh, but I'll tell you this. Woody Allen makes it clear uh, in uh, this movie that he's coming after Mia Farrow and he shows to be a master of manipulating the media uh, and the media mm -hmm. was manipulated and, and, and uh, we'll close down this uh, part of the conversation because I could probably go for another hour on this one and I want to move on to the city council, <laughs> but I urge folks to check out uh, uh, Allen versus uh, Pharaoh. If you have any interest, remote interest uh, it's a, it's a lot, it's a deep dive into a very narrow subject. You know, the, the story of this dysfunctional family, which is pretty whacked out family, by the way, Romana, I think we'll all agree on that. Right. Um, but it also oh, gets into sure, things of how sure. the media is manipulated. All right, let's move on to the Chicago City Council. Uh, Ramon and I have been talking about this for a while. Ramon has been all over this story, a resolution uh, that would condemn the Indian government 
for racism, for bigotry, uh, for heavy-handed tactics uh, against uh, many of its uh, Muslim citizens. Somehow or other, it's too controversial uh, for the Chicago City Council uh, to pass, uh, even though it is toothless. It's just a resolution condemning. Uh, Romano was the one who broke the story, wrote about it for the Sun-Times, uh, my beloved reader uh, just did a, a deep dive on it, so I uh, checked that story out on the reader as well. Uh, Ramana, uh, give folks sort of the up-to-date on uh, what went down at the city council meeting when they discussed uh, this resolution, because it says a lot about Chicago as much as it says about uh, Indian politics. Go ahead. Well, um, I, before I uh, start, I should, tell, I should tell you that I used to cover city council when I was in my 20s um, for the city news bureau. I was really young. Um, and I, you know, I was learning, I was trying to soak things in. I'd be watching Fran Spielman and Gary Washburn from the Chicago Tribune and Andy Barton was there. There was all these like legends that worked in the, in the city hall uh, press office. And I was just there and I was like learning everything. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, I had to learn how to, you know, sit through these committee meetings. I would sit through city council meetings. And even though I was young, I can tell you, I would listen to these aldermen and I'm like, oh my God, they're so full of sometimes and I, I just listen to them talk and you know the reasonings for why they would vote against something and like you know if the mayor if mayor daly said something and you know everything would pass really quick and then you know they talked for five minutes about why they would support something that the mayor proposed and it was just so scripted and you know even though i was in my 20s and i was young not to say people in their 20s can't be but i was like you know learning everything so I was like, oh my God, these are so annoying. So I hadn't listened to an actual city council meeting in a long time. I edit Franz Bielman stories occasionally. So I do know, you know, I see the written, you know, her written style and she's edited a lot of stuff out of the, of the dialogue. So it was last, last week or two weeks ago on the 24th, um, basically this resolution that was basically a paragraph from Joe Biden's website expressing disappointment in uh, the passage of the CAA Act and in this other um, citizen um, act that the India passed. It basically is trying to strip Muslims of citizenship, you know, that live in certain regions and people who are um, undocumented there. It's like it gives everybody else citizenship except Muslims. Anyways, it, it just said that it expressed disappointment in that and just said, hey, you know, everybody should respect everybody's human rights. And there was this other like commission report there was a paragraph from there. So those are two paragraphs because the resolution was originally like three pages long. It was more detailed. It talked about specific incidents. It mentioned the BJP, which is the right wing party in India. And it mentioned uh, Narendra Modi, who's a prime minister who was part of this party and, you know, has condoned and has even like backed, you know, he's perpetuated um, a lot of this hatred. And it's not just Muslims that they target. They also target farmers. They tar target oppressed castes. And um, women's groups, so environmentalists, it's like a long list of people. Um, and there's a lot of suppression right now in India. And, you know, when journalists speak out, they, they get, you know, they get shut down. So it was a resolution saying that this is wrong. And it was passed around for like months. It, this, came, this was proposed last um, summer. Basically, Alderman Maria Haddon um, was approached by members um, of her ward, which is my ward, and there were mostly South Asian, South Asian activists um, from different backgrounds, including Hindus. There were Muslims, Sikhs, Christians, Buddhists. And they said, that we don't like what's happening in India. And, you know, we have strong ties to India. We just want a resolution to saying this is wrong. And these groups that are Modi supporters and um, a congressman, Raja Krishnamurthy, I can say it now because that's what um, a lot of groups have been saying. 
found out about it. And then it started negotiations. The Indian consulate found out about it. And then they stripped down the language and it made it, it stripped it down to those two paragraphs that I talked about, Joe Biden's website and this other commission and human rights. I'm probably saying the wrong name. But anyway, um, these groups still didn't like the resolution because it said that what's happening in India is wrong in a nutshell, even though it said it in the most benign way. And so these groups, um, a lot of them, which the reader, there's, so the Chicago reader just did a piece, um, which Ben and Mick, my husband, just shared with me. At the same time, my husband mentioned it, and like right then, Ben sent me a text. <laughs> so they were thinking the same thing. And so this, this resolution, and this, the, a lot of the individuals that I did talk to that were against the resolution, um, this one group, so Alderman Joe Moore, who used to be my alderman, is now a lobbyist, and he's representing this group that's based in Carroll Stream. And they're the ones who they were the ones who were pushing and lobbying to have this resolution like not pass. And a lot of these members um, don't live in Chicago. Their whole contention was that nothing's happening in India. Nobody's getting discriminated against. Muslims live freely in India and don't have any pressures or problems, which is not right, <laughs> which is not correct. And then they also said that the city council has no business talking about what's happening in India when all these, they have all these other problems. That's what they told me. And I talked, so they talked to this guy, um, Dr. Bharat Barai, and he, I noticed that he had an Indiana number. He's the president of this organization that Joe Moore is lobbying for. And I told him, I'm like, oh, so you live in Indiana? And he's like, I actually have houses in Chicago. So I didn't even get into that, but that just shows you that there's, there's and they, like, you know, there's groups from New Jersey that send stuff to the city council. And it just, the resolution in a nutshell didn't pass. It was the, the, I think the vote was 18 in favor, 24, if I'm not correct, um, voted against it. And just listening to the alderman, I know we talked started at the top, listening to the alderman talk about why they were not going to vote for this resolution was just laughable. Alderman George Cardenas, Cardenas said that, um, that he said that he knew that Modi was like Donald Trump. But he didn't think, he said there's a lot of problems going on in this world. So he didn't feel like he needed to do that. Alderman Walter Burnett uh, said he went to India a long time ago when he was a kid. Or not a kid, but like in his 20s. And he's talking about how like Indians didn't want us in their business. And I was thinking to myself, um, the United States is almost in everybody's business. So if you can't just say that this is wrong, I don't know what you're talking about. Then there was an, I think Nick Bozzato said something like, well, there's problems all over the world. So why do I have to vote for this? Um, Alderman Jason Irwin said that, oh, you know, there's people who have no jobs on the West side. And, you know, why are we wasting time on this? And the whole time when I hear, I'm hearing these aldermen talking about wasting time, if anybody wasted time, it's actually you guys, because you spent like months, almost a year trying to gut the resolution that doesn't do anything. It, and it's like, it's a symbolic resolution. So the fact that you can't say that what's happening in India is wrong, it really says a lot because it's like, you won't stand up for what is right. And obviously I, I have, uh, you know, I have feelings for this. I don't I have no problems um, expressing my opinion on this because my family is Muslim. Um, my parents are from India. You know, my parents are from India. We're born there. I went there council, countless of times. And anecdotally, I've even seen anti-Muslim you know, rhetoric and just, you know, and discrimination against Muslims kind of rise up anecdotally every time I go, I go back. And I even wonder like, oh God, after I wrote my column, my opinion piece on that, I'm like, oh no, the government knows that I wrote this, will I be able to go back? I hope I will, because I still have strong ties to it. So I feel very strong to the fact that I, I felt very like, 
I felt bummed that the city council couldn't even say that this was wrong. Like if there was a resolution saying what Donald Trump is doing wrong, I think they would have no problem. So it's like they kept saying like all these aldermen who didn't agree with what was happening in India were saying like, well, I just don't feel one alderman. Oh, yeah. One alderman more. Is it David Moore? He's like, David Moore, I just yeah. feel so confused. I, I, I feel I feel uncomfortable, like voting on something that I don't understand. It's complex. And, you know, I was thinking to myself again. You had like nine to almost my nine months to almost a year to read up on India. It's not that hard. You can Google it. Anybody who wants to Google these issues can do it. There's news stories on it. So I just thought the excuses were very lame. And I think the bottom line is that the um, mayor's office, from what I was told, didn't want this resolution to pass. So between um, Alderman Joe Moore's lobbying efforts and, you know, which were going through, and then, you know, the Roderick Krishnamurthy's efforts, which I was told, like, on a national level, a lot of people have called him out, and the efforts of the city council and the council at general of India, I think they just told everybody, like, don't vote for this. And and I, I just thought it laughable that all these people were saying that, well, Indians, all the Indians I talked to, you know, somebody, I think, I forgot which alderman, I think Ray Lopez said he said he got a thousand calls. And I'm like, okay, you got a thousand calls. And he said, all the Indians don't want it. And I'm like, well, I'm an Indian. I, I don't, that's not true. The Indians who, pro, you know, proposed this resolution or came up with this resolution, they, they have no problem with it. So it was just kind of like this whole game where they're saying like, all the Indians don't want this. Indians don't want this. And one of the things that bothered me also is that the opposition kept saying that this is a hate resolution. You know, there was the groups that were opposed to the resolution. They came outside Maria Haddon's office the week that this was going to go down to vote. And they called her Alderman Maria Hayden, hate on or something like that. And and they kept saying this is going to cause division. And this is, you know, this is like, this is very anti-Indian. So it's like the rhetoric they're using. They're using peace and love to vote down the resolution, which I thought was very offensive when Muslims are being killed and people are being, other people are being killed. And you're calling this like a, a love, like this is not a, we want to love one another and let's get together. Let's get together. And I have to tell you, so the one doctor that I talked to in my, that I mentioned in my column, who was part of this U S Indian friendship council that Alderman Joe Moore was, um, is, was lobbying, you know, he was like having people like send me like tweets, you know, that were very, like, very Islamophobic. Um, and, you know, he was like, he kept sending me emails. And then, you know, the, this blogger wrote something about, I pity Ramana Hussein and, you know, kind of <laughs> talked about how, you know, I have all this wrong information. And he was just like, not sending many emails, just sending me these one word, like, you know, things all week. And then when the resolution passes, he, he calls me, I didn't pick up and he left and leaves a message and saying like, oh, let's all put this behind us. Let's be friends. Let's hang out. And I'm like, after all this, like you want to be friends and hang out. It's, it was just like, it's, it was just very telling. Like, again, it's a non-binding resolution. And for a lot of people who don't understand what's happening in India, or don't read up on India, they're probably like, why are we even talking about this? But I think for a lot of people, and one of the things I have to point out, the fact that I wrote this piece, the Chicago Tribune wrote a long piece on it. Um, one of the reporters was Indian and the reader wrote a piece by a reporter who's also Indian. It's a very, it's issues that Chicagoans care about. And for the city to act like we don't care about it, it's just, and it's like, we don't want this. It's like, who are you talking to? Or what were you promised? I mean, we know, we all know at the end of the day why they did this, but it's just sad. It just, I thought it was very cowardly. That's just my why? opinion. It, it, wait, like, let's yeah. answer that question. At yeah. the end of the day, why did they vote the way they did? Well, I don't know. They were probably told that, hey, like, you know, if you, 
if you um if you do, if you pass this, you know, we're going to tell all the Indians in our community not to donate, you know, not to you know support your campaigns. But there's a lot of the thing, but there's a lot of Indians on the other end too. So it's like maybe they won't support your campaigns too. And it, it is just I don't know. It was I know when I came home that day, I was working from my mom's house that day, and I was like telling Mick I was really upset, and he was like, "Are you really shocked?" <laughs> and then I go, "I don't know. I, I guess I think that it's just like a non-binding resolution saying that what's happening in India is wrong shouldn't be that hard, and we call ourselves a progressive city. This." The resolution in its original form with that was more detailed has been passed in like random cities across the country, including San Francisco, St. Paul, Minnesota and Chicago, like props itself up as this like liberal city. And it's you can't even pass something like this that all the progressive aldermen were definitely backing. So it's like, how progressive are we really? Well, first of all, let's that's a whole show. I, as I've said many times, the, yeah. the misuse of the word progressive. Uh, all right, I'm now just mentioning Mick Dumkey. I'm going to play uh, the Mick Dumkey role, and I will say something now that's nice about Chicago aldermen. Okay, so uh, in defense okay. of Chicago aldermen, <laughs> they're like you're Chicago aldermen. You don't even know where India is on a map. Okay, and so all of a sudden you're getting dragged in to the intricacies of Indian politics. You have no idea who the president of India is. You have no idea who the different constituencies of India are. You try to get along with absolutely everybody that comes to your door uh, and reduce your world to certain issues that we all understand, like, should we allow a zoning change on this block so we can turn this, what, vacant lot into a grocery store? Something that everybody in Chicago can understand. So now you're being asked, uh, to take a deep dive into something you know nothing about. You're getting conflicting phone calls from people who don't even live in Chicago. That's a, a great point that you made. They, they live in Carroll Stream. They live in Indiana. The great state of Indiana is weighing in. Uh, and so if you're a Chicago alderman, you know what you do? Romani, you go, you know what? I'm just not going to. I'm the, I don't know. I don't know nothing. I don't know about this thing. I don't know. I don't know. And did you just vote no? Well, it, it was 18 to 24. Great moments in math. That means eight people didn't vote because there's 50 aldermen. And so there were eight who were like, oh, it's too complicated. I think I'll just go to the bathroom. I think some of them didn't show up. Someone told me that um, places that where there had a lot of Indian constituents, I mean, obviously, Murray Haddon and there are some other people that they said that they noticed that some of the aldermen that had a lot of Indian constituents just didn't show up. That's what I was <laughs> like. like, take the stand. So that's Chicago aldermen. And... Uh, so, yeah, that's uh, they're not going to stick their neck out for something they uh, they know nothing about. But we'll close it with this. Uh, even if they had passed it, I don't think they would have could have brought any more attention to the issue than they did by not passing it. Well, that's what Alderman Haddon was saying. Alderman Haddon was saying that, um, you know, they they wanted it to go away. But by them putting so much effort into wanting to go away, they shed more light on it. I think more people yeah. probably started reading up on India after after they saw like you know all this controversy and they saw like you know my article and then they saw the article in the Tribune and now the Reader. I mean, I want to read the Reader piece because it, it it does deep go into a lot of things that I knew about but I couldn't get into because sometimes there's less space than the Reader does. No, it's a it's a great piece in the Reader. Uh, shout out to the Reader. Although let me just add, come on, you could have given some love to Ramana. She broke the freaking story. All right, all right. Shout out to the, uh, but other than other than that, 
Uh, it was a really great article in the reader, and I urge uh, everybody uh, to check it out. All right, we'll close uh, but with a reference to your beloved Chicago Cubs. My attitude toward the Cubs is a little like uh, your attitude uh, toward Woody Allen. I don't understand how anybody can uh, so support this wretched team uh, with its uh, lousy ownership. Uh, right wing, we love Donald Trump. Oh, wait, wait, let's look, let's prop up the, our sister, <laughs> like one member of the family gives money to Democrats. Hey, she's not bad. Uh, nonetheless, the, the season opened yesterday. The Cubs um, continuing that great tradition of bad baseball loss, five to three. Uh, are you still rooting for the Cubs this year, Romano? Well, before I start, it was 18 to 26, the resolution. I just checked my notes. Oh, okay. 18 to 24. Um, I am always going to be a Cub fan. Um, I don't like the Ricketts. You know, I wrote about that. Um, I don't like what they represent. And I don't have any problems saying that I have problems with them and their love for Donald Trump. <laughs> um, with it. So I, I do have like, you know, I do feel a little torn. But I have to tell you, so I'm, I'm not like my brother and Mick, like in terms of like, I don't follow everything that the Cubs do. And my brother is going to make fun of me because he always, that's his whole claim. He, he's always said that I'm, I'm like a fake fan because I don't know anything. Like, I don't know, like all the intricacies of baseball. I don't know who, who, you know, he, he always asked me like name 10 players. And if I can't, he'll like tell me I'm a, you know, I'm just a poser. And I just like to go into Wrigley Field to be seen. And I've always liked the Cubs. The Cubs are the one team in Chicago that I've always rooted for. Um, they're the only ones I was emotionally invested in. I, I always like other teams in, in the city. I always root for the Bulls and the, you know, and when the Bears make the Super Bowl. That's when I'll watch the Super Bowl. But the Cubs are the one team that I've liked since I was like 13 years old. So I'm going to always root for the Cubs because it's not like the players are the Ricketts, but I understand the hesitation. So my husband, Mick, your friend, he told me, like months ago, he's like, I'm not going to watch the Cubs. I'm done with the Cubs. I'm done. He always does that. <laughs> no, okay? And then I just, and, and he's, and he's going to get, he's going to get really sensitive because I, I admit, I said that I, you know, yeah. this, we can go to games. I, I got, I'm half vaccinated. So I, I do, you know, we were season ticket holders, me and my brother and, and his uh, friend, three of us own season tickets. You know, last year we didn't go. And so this year um, I told Mick, I was like, well, do you want to go to a game? And he's like, I don't know if I'm going to go to a game. So I'm like, that's fine. I'm going to go. I'm going to go to one game at least. I want to go to at least one game. And he said he's not. And then he, he also told me that he's like, I'm not going to, I'm done with the Cubs. I just can't stand the Rickets anymore. And he said he's not going to watch any Cubs games. And I even told him <laughs> that's not going to happen. He listens to this. So like yesterday we got our first, um, we got our first vaccine. We got our first shots. And yeah. so when we're coming back, you know, it was opening day yesterday. And he's like, do you want to turn on the Cubs game? And that's what, <laughs> what happened? That boycott didn't even last one game. He gets, he gets sensitive. He says that he always said that he was he's going to break his boycott. But he always tells me that he's not going to watch him. And then he ends up watching him. So I understand. I understand. the. Um, but it's like he's probably a bigger fan than I am. So it's easier for me because I don't follow every single play. I don't watch every single game. My brother has a game on whenever there's a game. He'll still watch. I think I think everybody just feels uncomfortable. Um, but I understand if somebody doesn't want to watch the Cubs anymore and doesn't want to pay for the Cubs anymore, I totally understand. I'm still gonna be still watching, but I'm again, I'm not like this like I'm a I'm a pretty big fan, but I'm not someone who's gonna be watching every single game or 
paying attention to like every trade. I've watched like big trades and I'm like, okay, you know, Mick usually has to tell me about that. So I'm still going to watch right. but I understand. I, uh, I know you're not a fan, so it, it's easy. Uh, I, uh, you're heading into uh, the territory of Woody Allen fans who say, <laughs> well, I'll just watch occasional Woody Allen movies, okay? You know, a, a little asterisk next. To, yeah, wait, let me just, sure. a couple points. Mick Dunkey, my, my dear friend Mick Dunkey, with his uh, proclamations, they're like, a Mick Dunkey prop, proclamation is sort of like a warning uh, on a soup can about the ingredients because there's all this like nuanced disclaimers about the. So he came on the show. I am not watching football again, and then, of course he was he watching that, it right? like crazy. <laughs> yes, he did. And now he's like, he, he, well, Ben, he, what I said was so whatever. Uh, it's in his heart he's doing the right thing. And by the way, Romana's brother, ladies and gentlemen, this guy's an eye doctor. I was at their wedding. One of the funniest guys I've ever. He got up and did like a toast that was like stand up in Vegas and uh, had me roaring. So this guy's a pretty funny guy, Romana's brother. We should get him on the show sometime. Although he may be one of those guys you put a mic in front of him. Ah, yeah. <laughs> um, he's a very funny the man. Funny thing is, uh, the funny thing is, I have to tell you about my brother. My, I have to tell you about my brother is like all the parents, like when he was growing, growing up, like all the parents like loved him because he was like, he's like an Eddie Haskell, like. They all think he's like polite and nice, and then it's like behind their backs, he's making fun of everyone. And so he's all the parents like still think he's like a good boy. And his, his sister, you know, I'm one of his three sisters, and they're all like, "Oh, you know, his sisters are like this." But look, he's such a nice boy. So I'm just saying, that's the reputation he has. Uh, that's hilarious. Yeah, Eddie Haskell of uh, the Ramana Hussein family. All right, Ramana, stay safe and sound. Uh, you will not be with us next week because you're going to be doing something else. I can't remember what it is. doesn't matter. Uh, so uh, whatever it is, stay safe and sound. We'll talk to you real soon, all right? Okay, talk to you guys later. It's good being on the show again. That's the great Ramana Hussein. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. Bye.